Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol, and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. Relationships, Steph, is a big one. Huge one. I don't know about you, but people ask me about it all the time. Yeah, and it's relationships with other people, with friends, with colleagues, with children, with partners, with parents. It's the foundation of life, isn't it? It changes who you are. You learn from people. You learn lessons from people. You grow because of people. You get knocked down by other people. You help people. You turn to people for help. Relationships are pretty much everything. The human experience is based on relationships. I've been thinking recently about my my personal relationships as in boyfriends. Um, You know, I've been with Nick for 16 years. But before that, you know, I never had a relationship where I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a hard thing to realize. You know, I was kind of off my head for a lot of all these relationships and all the decisions that were made through them really heavily revolved around alcohol. Same. I mean, all dates were taken place at a bar. If we went to something other than a bar, we ended up at the bar. And I mean, I met my husband in a bar. Did you? Yeah. Well, he chatted you up. Yeah. Well, I've kind of always, I always kind of knew who he was. I come from a very small town type area. So there was this bar that we all ended up at all the time. And yeah, one night we were extremely drunk. It was last call. And he's like, hey, I've got a wedding I got to go to tomorrow. Do you want to go? And I'm like, so drunk. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And I remember the next day waking up and freaking out that I agreed to go on this date. And I was like, I don't want to go. And I called my mom. And my mom's like, Stephanie, I raised you better than that. Like, if you said yes to that boy, you're going on that date. Just go on the date, see how it goes. And what's crazy is I knew on that first date that I was going to marry him, which was so wild because before I went on the date, I wanted nothing to do with the date. Go on the date. But that's what alcohol does, right? It just messes with our head. But I had the best time. And like ever since that first date, we've just been together every single day since then. It was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And you went to the wedding. Went to the wedding with him. Yeah. Who goes to a wedding on a first date, Steph? I've never heard anything like it. And I went on another date with him, like within a couple weeks to another wedding that he was in. And it was out of town. And it was like, I mean, some big stuff right out the gate. I mean, I don't regret any of it, obviously. But like you think about it, like there was a lot of alcohol involved to like have the nerve to do some of these things, right? The difference now, I would be nervous going on a date now, I think, because I used alcohol definitely to relax because it does relax you. It gives you this confidence and this nonchalant, well, whatever, if you don't like me, there'll be someone else in here. I can go and sit with them. And you have to be braver. But I think you're probably also more selective Yes. when you're not drinking. You certainly are with your friends because I used to hang around with anyone who would drink the same as me. Right. And I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Let's, let's start with friendships because I feel like that dynamic, there was a huge shift right away when I quit yeah. drinking. Like it became very clear that there were certain people that were just around me because I was a drinker. Like the invitations stopped happening and it was really awkward when we would get together. Did you experience that as well? Yeah. I mean, I became a hermit for a few months because Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how I was going to find being out and I didn't want to be tempted to drink. 
So I just didn't go out for a while and I saw people during the day instead. But there were definitely relationships where I thought, well, I'm never going to hang out with them because they are heavy drinkers and they're not going to want to go out and not drink. And I don't want to go out and sit with someone who just wants to drink. And that's who I was. Mm -hmm. And I've made friends in all the different places where I've lived. You kind of, you look around and you notice the people who are drinking a lot and you think, I'm going to get on with them. And they end up being your friends and it is enabling, you know, they don't make you feel uncomfortable about drinking a lot and and vice versa. So you become friends purely based on that, which is not a good foundation for any friendship, really, is it? It's not. And I mean, some of these friendships, I really felt a sense of loss, even though like when, when I realized, oh, my God, I have nothing to talk to this person about or I have nothing to like call them hey let's go do what what am I going to ask them to go do because I know what they like to go do and I'm not a part of that anymore and it's Mm. it's really sad and it's like there's this huge part of me that wanted to try to find a way to make it work but then there's also this huge part of me that's just trying to stay sober and just trying to use my energy towards that. And so I did lose some people. I had to take a huge step back and it kind of rolled into, because I don't know about like you and Nick, but it kind of rolled into my husband and I's dynamic as well, because these were his friends too, right? So then there's this little bit of resentment from Blake because now these people aren't coming around or calling us because we're a you know, we're a couple, we're a team. And yeah. he's just kind of like, you know, is what's going on? Like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, like, this is weird. And I'm like, I know, I don't want it to be weird. And I, I love my husband, because at the end of the day, he will always choose me. But then there's this guilt that I feel because there has been times where he's made comments like, you've scared everyone away with your sobriety, you know, when he's feeling left out and i mean that's a valid feeling it and, is and but it, scaring people away right but that's on, on them. them but right but it's true but it it's the right thing to do so yes. it's not like you're scaring them away because you drink two liters of vodka and take your yeah. clothes off you're doing the right thing and yes. no one can argue with that no one can say not drinking is bad it is a tricky one though i mean my husband is not sociable If it was up to him, we'd be living in a hut, in a forest, just us four. And if we never saw anyone else again, he'd be happy. He's just a loner. I mean, he's lovely. He's very popular. People want to be his friend. He just likes to be at home. He's a homebody. So he hasn't been bothered at all. In fact, he said to me this weekend, I really love the fact we don't just go to the pubs after school and work on a Friday, because by the time I got there, you were all hammered. And then I would drink loads and everyone was so drunk by 9, 30, 10 o'clock. It was awful. How did you guys meet? I actually went to school with Nick. I did my A-levels in a place called Sirencester and he was in my media studies class. And I didn't really know him that well. He was friends with my boyfriend at the time. And I remember him bringing me a cup of tea in bed one morning when I spent the night at my boyfriend's house. And he just kind of shuffled in and went, yeah, Danny told me to bring you a cup of tea. And I went, oh, thanks, Nick. And I just, I think back, I think, God, if anyone had said to me, you're going to marry that guy. And then I didn't see him when I finished my A-levels. And then I moved off to New York and back to London. And I bumped into him once on the tube and then I bumped into him again. And it was really odd because we wouldn't have got together back then. We were just very different, but our paths crossed a lot. We lived in the same sort of areas of London, went to the same pubs. And yeah, I just kept sort of catching glimpses of him. And then eventually we did get together. And it was funny because we'd been to school together. 
people would say to me, what, Nick, Nick from school? And they'd say to him, Kate, Kate Taylor from school. And it was just really funny because we had a bit of history there, even though we were strangers. And we could talk about teachers because we'd been at the same school, but we didn't know each other. And I'd meet his friends. And of course, I knew their names because I remembered (laughs) them. But we, but I didn't know them. So it was a really strange dynamic. But our, our relationship was heavy, heavy on the booze. And so much so, actually, that after about four months of being together, we decided to leave London because we said, we've got to get out of this. It's, it's too heavy drinking, which we're, we're going to split up because we're arguing a lot, because we're getting drunk a lot. And that's why we moved to Italy, because we wanted to sort of take ourselves out of this culture and move to a, a foreign city where we thought we'd be better behaved. And we were because I found out I was pregnant a few weeks before we moved. So I didn't drink <laughs> for nine months. Yeah. So it was good. It was needed, actually. It was perfect timing. Did he stop drinking while you were pregnant? No. And actually, I used to buy him drinks. I used to go, oh, I found this really nice bottle of wine. It looks lovely. And I'd bring it home for him. Or we went on a pub crawl when I was nine months pregnant. I was 10 days late having Luca. And... Oh I was a week over my due date and I said, I have to leave the flat. If I get one more message going, any news? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So I just turned my phone off and we went on a pub crawl. And in Italy, they were horrified because, you know, mama and bambino are just stay at home. My God, it's so precious. What are you doing out? And I just thought I've got to get out and be around people having fun. So that was quite fun. And I was like, go on, have another drink. He's like, I don't think I I can't. Please stop telling me to drink. But no, he drank through the pregnancies, not loads at all, but he did drink. And then I started drinking after both of them. Because we both drink, we would drink at home every night together. And I think that's part of the problem when you get into that habit of being a couple who both drink. Because even if one of you might not have opened a bottle of wine, if the other one wants to, you then have a glass. And it becomes part of like, for Blake and I, it kind of became um, the gateway to have conversation. So like we both use alcohol to bring up hard conversations that you have to have in a marriage or talk about our feelings. For me, I had to tap into alcohol to be able to get to that vulnerable place that my husband's extremely vulnerable. And, and if he ever listens to this, he would hate me for saying that because his persona, if anyone's ever seen a picture of him and I don't have a lot on my Instagram, like he's six four, big guy, just like burly, like beard go teeth comes off extremely tough but he is the softest person and the most sensitive vulnerable person that I have ever met and I think that's why I was so attracted to him because it is part of like what I feel my life lesson is to learn to be that vulnerable so I learned so much from him but I've always needed alcohol to get to that place and I just remember You know, there's a lot of times where, yeah, just him and I would be drinking together. And I loved those times together because I felt like I could really open up and he could really open up. But for me, like, I can't tell you what some of those conversations were about because I got to a level where now I'm not really remembering. There are things maybe that didn't come out correctly. Yeah. So for me now, like being sober, I think that's the biggest thing I struggle with. Our relationship itself is better because I'm not so irritable all the time. I've mentioned that before. Like I used to be so irritated with the littlest things that I would blow up and we'd get in arguments over the dumbest things. We don't do that anymore because I'm level-headed and I'm patient. And even if he's been out drinking and he comes home and he's irritable, at least I'm in the right mind not to like, you know, take the bait 
because when you're both drinking, you take the bait pretty quickly. So that's the positive part of our relationship. But the negative side is the fact that like I am still working on, and this is part of doing the work for me, finding that soft space within myself to be vulnerable with him. Like I still struggle with doing that. And I know that he feels that, you know, I know that that's kind of like a rift that we have right now is the fact that we don't get drunk together and have those like deep yeah. conversations. And have I mean, you tried just... walking? Do you walk with him? We do I've... walk together. Because I find when you're yes. walking with someone and you're not looking at them, it's yes. much easier to have a conversation about personal things and you're moving. So you're doing something. You're not just sitting there yeah. going, well, we need to talk about this. Uh, and it makes it so much less awkward. I love walking and talking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or car journeys are good when there's not a child in the back, yes, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't happen that often. It's either one right. or the other. Yeah. Tells you about yourself, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. when we were drunk, we try and talk about sensitive things, but the conversation would always go off on a tangent. Yeah. And so many arguments. I mean, I can't even remember. And the amount of times we've woken up and I don't think either of us can really remember the actual argument and who was wrong and who was right. And it's just awkward, horrible. Nothing actually got resolved. You still have to have the conversation again because you can't remember. You're kind of trying to piece together bits and bobs of what you might have picked up or said. And people are just so unreliable when they're drunk because you don't know what emotions are going to come out or be sparked by something else. And you'll just go off and start talking about something completely differently. But you're kind of all riled up and you're angry. How can you resolve anything when you're drunk? I, I just don't think you can. I think if you need to say something and you're shy about saying it, maybe yes. But you don't want to be drunk when you then have the conversation that follows once you've brought it up. Yeah, You want to to really discuss it and you want them to be sensitive. And the one thing I have found is that when you're drunk, people treat you differently. And Nick used to always say to me, I'm not talking about this with you when you've been drinking. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And it's like, we never talk about it tomorrow. The only time I ever see you is when we're drinking because we drink every night. Mm -hmm. So we're just never going to talk about it. It's like, well, you know, let's not drink and let's talk about it. And it just never happened. So every serious conversation we had, happened in an evening and it happened when we were drinking at various levels. Messy, isn't it? It's very messy. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it did become a huge crutch. And it's just like anything else that you have to unravel when you get sober. You know, I didn't need alcohol to have fun, but I thought that I did. And I have unraveled that and I have proven to myself that I still have fun without alcohol. So I think, you know, we have to do this stuff in layers. You can't try to do it all at once. It is Mm -hmm. something, it's probably one of the next layers that I have to like work through, which is proving to myself that I can have these conversations without alcohol. And I have to just do it, you know, but it's yeah. like, I'm at the edge and I'm just like trying to jump, but I'm like, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 you know, and that's where I'm at right now. Well, that's great though. Like, that's such a kind of grown up and sensible way to deal with things. I mean, we are grown up, Steph, aren't yeah. we? I mean, that's the weird thing. I mean, like, being so grown up, Steph. Age wise, like, but I don't know, mentality. <laughs> <laughs> but it's difficult because d- does your husband still drink? Yes. I think he does, yes. but he doesn't drink a lot, does he? It depends on what you want to say is a lot. So he doesn't drink often. So that's where it's shifted. He used to drink probably at least three or four, maybe five nights a week, sometimes more. I mean, honestly. And now he can go, he'll go maybe a week without drinking at all. But then when he does drink, he binges. I feel like there's going to come a breaking point because how long can you keep that up? You know, like he gets so sick now, way worse than he ever did. But that's because he's taking these long breaks 
So he doesn't have that tolerance that he used to have, but like he thinks he does. Like I said, he's this masculine man and he's going out, he's in construction and that's what they do. I mean, half the time he can't leave because every time he goes to leave, there's another beer sitting in front of him or another shot. And I get that. But, you know, you and I, we know like, well, then don't even start. But it's just like, it's hard to watch someone do that because I was in the same boat and I wasn't listening and I wouldn't have listened. And so you kind of have to just take a step back and just as hard as it is, I just always have to remind myself, this is his lesson to learn. Like he's a smart person. He's either going to figure it out or he isn't, but like, I can't keep putting the energy that I use for myself into some Mm -hmm. trying to heal someone else, especially when they're not open to hearing it. No. And it's hard because as long as there's someone left who wants to keep drinking, they will do anything in their power to get someone else to carry on drinking. So they're not drinking on their own. So unless you are the last one, it's hard to walk away from. And, you know, I know that because, you know, my husband will go out and and I'll be like, please, you know, don't be too late because I won't be able to sleep. Mm -hmm. And and he will be. And it's like, why couldn't you just come home? It's like, I know, but we had a really, we were having a deep conversation. Come on, you know, but actually it is hard. I know it's hard. But as you say, you've got to make the decision and and you've got to be stronger than that if it's Mm -hmm. what you want. Right. You know, my husband still drinks more than I wish he did. Mm-hmm. And it it is a problem. You know, after two years, I am starting to find it really hard because I'm okay around people who drink. I don't mind being in a room and there's 50 other people drinking and I'm the yeah. only one who isn't. It really doesn't bother me. I'm not tempted. Don't like being around drunk people. But it's more to do with what I know alcohol does to you and a health and a mental health specifically way. And the world is a really sad place at the moment. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to get your head around. You know, my husband owns a nursery school. He's he's a hard worker. He's got a lot to manage. You know, he's got a lot going on and it's stressful. And I'm really worried drinking is making it so much more stressful. Harder. I know yep. it's a depressant. I know it makes him grouchy and I know it's bad for your health. And that is what I'm finding really hard because when he drinks too much, he sleeps in the spare room and he he doesn't kick up a fuss. He's like, of course, you know, he doesn't want to wake me up with his snoring. And, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But when you notice that's happening quite a lot every week, you, it's kind of like, this is, is this it? Is this what's going to keep happening? But I'm worried about what alcohol is doing to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how do you broach that? Because I am really struggling with it because we know you can't tell someone to stop drinking because they'll resent you for it. And even if they do try, it won't stick unless they want to do it. Right. So that's out of the picture. What we can do is not drink and say, look at all the benefits and wait for them. But I've done this for two years. Yeah. So yeah. how long do you do that for? Yeah. But I also need to say this isn't working for me with all this alcohol and, and it mm-hmm. makes me so scared about what's happening to you. So mm-hmm. it's such a fine balance. And it, yeah. it ultimately depends on how much you love them and, and how much you want it to work. And can you deal with the way it is or not? Right. But it's a lot of relationships break up, even though people love each other because alcohol is involved. Mm-hmm. And I hate it even more for that. I know. And I everything you just said about, you know, being able to be around drunk people, but then watching, like knowing what we know. And that's what's hard because now there's like this microscope on my husband. And so anytime like he's hungover and he's being irritable and he's like snapping at Adeline or snapping at me for no reason, you know, like if he felt okay, he wouldn't be acting that way or things wouldn't be bothering him or even the stress with work. Same thing. 
I just feel like I already have a hard time handling stress. And as soon as I quit drinking, I just realized like things don't seem as stressful. And then there is actual scientific proof to that, that alcohol actually makes things feel more stressful than they really are. It exaggerates, it exaggerates everything. And so then my husband has a very stressful job as well. And it's just like, he's so stressed all the time. And then he's got high blood pressure. And it's just like all these things, like you're saying, is that what we do? Is that how we approach it? Because I, this goes along with the vulnerability. I don't know how to approach these things with him. I don't know how to say to him, you, do you realize that if you quit drinking A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all these yeah, things yeah. will get better in your life? Because I've tried to drop little things and it turns into, I don't need a lecture about my drinking. And it's really hard because it's like, I'm not trying to lecture you. Like I am your wife who cares about you, who loves you. Like if he said, let's say he had a, like a problem with like overeating and he had diabetes or like it was causing health issues. I would say the same thing. Like Mm. we're not going to be eating this stuff anymore. It's bad for your health. So What is it about alcohol? But like we just talked about it in a previous episode. We protect it when we're using it for our medicine, which clearly they are doing that. They're both high-stressed men trying to make it through the day. They're so dependent on it. They're going to protect it. And if we're those people that are trying to like take that from them, they're going to lash out. Yeah. So it is. It's it's unfortunately this episode may not be ho- extremely helpful if you were looking for like what do I do to get my spouse <laughs> on board with sobriety? No idea. <laughs> no idea. But what we can tell you is anytime I just refocus on myself, it is helpful to just let go of that control and trying to control him and just know what will be will be. I've got to focus on myself. I've got to hold my line and my boundaries, which you have set boundaries. There's certain things, you know, when he's drinking that can and cannot happen. I'm the same way. And I think as long as we hold fast and hold steady in our own boundaries and keep being an example of what sobriety can do. I feel something else I can do to improve on in that is share more of the benefits of my sobriety. Because sometimes I don't with him, you know. Maybe we need to do a slideshow, Steph, and sit them down. Like a whole presentation. (laughs) Can you imagine? We can do one together and we can both do it at the same time on a Friday night and go, I'm going in. Let me know how it goes. But it's true. And what you just said is really key. What will be, will be. And I think Focusing on yourself and realizing that you're changing and you constantly reassess relationships, right? You're constantly mm-hmm. changing. And, and that's why a lot of relationships don't last forever because people change so much that they're not compatible anymore. And actually, personally, when my parents split up, I was like, great, you're going to be happy because why stay together if you're not? Life should be as happy as you can possibly make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm not someone who believes that there's one person for you. And when you find them, that's it. And that's your one chance of life. And, and I do think you have to constantly reassess. I'm really lucky in that after 16 years, I still look forward to him coming home. Mm-hmm. He's still my best friend. You know, it, it, ha- it doesn't feel old and tired. But I tell you what, alcohol is putting a wedge between us. And if our relationship breaks down because of it, I mean, it's just so sad. But I am changing. And because he isn't that means our dynamic is changing. And all I can do is keep going and hoping that that something changes so that that balances out again. 
Because ultimately, if it doesn't, it, it will be the end of the marriage. And that's not a threat. That's just me being really honest, because right. I don't think I will find it attractive to be with someone yeah. who drinks so much. And I can't bear to watch someone I love doing that to themselves. But it hurts. It physically hurts to see. But it's it's an interesting one. I don't know how long our listeners have been with their partners and have experienced this and, and whether they've got you know anything to add. And it would be actually really nice to get some feedback once people mm-hmm. have listened to this and you know, pop on our Instagram page and let us know because I'd love to hear other people's opinion on it and their experiences and what they found and if they have any advice because we're not professionals, are we? We're just no. we're just professional chatters, aren't we, Steph? We're just yeah. I mean, we're good at <laughs> we're good at like trying to solve the world's problems by by speaking about, about our it. experiences. But I I mean, yeah. I, everything you said is so true, and you know. I always think about, and I don't know if you ever, like when we had Catherine on and she spoke about, because she had a husband who totally went about trying to get her sober the wrong way, right? Her first husband, Mm -hmm. it was manipulation. There was a lot of resentment and hate and venom just spewed at her constantly. And it made her not want to get better. Like she couldn't get better with that type of reinforcement. And I think everyone's different. So I'm Mm -hmm. not saying like what she's saying works for everyone. But then when she said she got with her husband now and how he went at it with love, like we're in this together. I love you. I'm going to help you. Like Mm -hmm. his approach was completely different. It hit something with me. Like That Mm -hmm. I've carried that with me when I have conversations with my husband, because when I first got sober and I would get really mad about him getting really drunk, you know, I would say things that probably weren't very nice to him. You know, there was a time on the phone with him. I just flat out told him, like, this is unattractive. This makes me not want to be around you. And it was really mean. And now I'm like, after talking to Catherine and, and hearing her story and hearing, like, what worked for her was to feel that she is worthy and she is loved and there is a reason to get better. Not like, oh, they're going to, you know, take something from me or leave me or humiliate me because the humiliating part too is something that stuck with me. So I think for me, I got a lot out of that. And it is something that I'm trying to be more aware of when we do have conversations or when he does upset me with his drinking to come from a place of love instead of, you know, come from a place of like, I'm telling you this because I care about your health and I care about you and I see you like falling apart or I see you like hurting yourself physically. Yeah, definitely. And also if you're thinking back to yourself, you know, if someone said to me, I find you really unattractive when you're drunk, I would just say, well, I'll go find someone who does. And that would be the end of that relationship. I mean, that would not have stopped me from drinking. But if someone said, I love you so much and I'm worried about you, that would make me think. So you're completely right. Um, And I've said the same sort of things, but it's so hard not to say, I don't want to turn around after four years and go, I'm leaving. I've really found this hard for the last four years. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't said anything, but it's been building and building. That's not fair either. No, because that's a slap in the face. It's working for me, but you can't push too hard. You can't put too much pressure on them. You've got to come from a place of love. You can't get too cross. You got to know that it's hard. It's bloody hard. And every relationship is so different. That just escalates the difficulty mm-hmm. factor because mm-hmm. you can't get advice from a friend or someone else who's been through it. You can't get advice and say, well, it worked for Kate. It'll work for me because it probably won't because your relationship is not the same as mine with my husband's. 
Right. So it really is a case of moving around and trying to figure out how you can remain in love and compatible and where those boundaries are. And I have to say, when I hit one, this is getting really hard for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like you, I've said it in ways that are not that nice. No. And I've been much ruder than you. I'm sure of it. It's, you know, it's like I've got to say it. And actually, mm-hmm. just because I don't get drunk anymore doesn't mean I don't lose my cool and say things that are a bit over the top. It's a very difficult dynamic. I mean, I think friendships change because I think when we get sober, we feel important enough and we like ourselves enough and we learn enough about ourselves to put boundaries in place. And many of us did not have those before. And it's a difficult lesson to learn because as I've realized on Instagram, people take offense if you sort of say, you're not for me. But actually, you have to do that. It's really important. And you need to have a strong group of friends around you and in sobriety I really do believe you need some of them to be sober and I didn't have any in my real life and that's what I found on Instagram I found some amazing people who were sober who got it they understood where I was coming from and they were there they were going through the same stuff and I could send a message and just say ah this is going on and they'd know what to say Have you made a lot of friends in sobriety? Are your closest friends still the people you saw? Like, how have your friendship dynamics changed? You know, I did mention at the beginning, I I have lost some friends, but also my core friends, like when we were talking lifelong friends, those people are still in my life in the same way that they were before I got sober. Like, they live five yeah. hours away. We're all moms. We're busy. But it's those relationships. If I picked up the phone right now and called one of them, they would answer and we would pick up like yeah. we haven't missed a beat. And those are like the most valuable relationships. I feel like they've known me through every phase of my life. Yeah. And you can't replace those. Like those are just I read something the other day that said, if you've been friends with someone for seven years, they will always be in your life. Like once you hit that seven year mark, there's no turning back. Like they're yours. And I thought about that and I reflected on my, my friendships and I was like, wow, that's very valid. Mm. Some of these people that I lost when I got sober, we hadn't been friends that long. So maybe that makes it easier. Maybe there's something there psychologically that just makes it easier to kind of just walk away. But I do have a couple people that stuck it out with me here that are friends that I made when I moved here to Omaha. And Yvonne, which she was on episode one of the podcast. Yeah. I mean, lovely Yvonne. Oh, I don't know what I would do without that woman. She is amazing. She lives four minutes from me, like just incredible. And we drank together, but it wasn't the thing that we always did. Like we have a really deep connection. I always say she's my soulmate. Like, we think of each other at the same time, like we'll be texting each other at the exact same time. Like it's just stuff like that. And those connections are amazing. And then my friend Rod, like he's amazing. He does drink. He does take long breaks from drinking, but he also never felt like weird or made it awkward. Like we still go, he'll call me to go do stuff that doesn't involve drinking at all. He's kind of my adventurous friend. Like he's the one that gets me out to go do like top golf or we go hiking or we were going to the pumpkin patch. Yeah. So those relationships have stuck. And it's just like, anytime you make a huge change in your life, it doesn't have to be sobriety. Like anytime you've done some type of big shift or transition, you do lose people because some people can move along with that change and they fit right in. 
And sometimes they just don't fit into the new life that you've created. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of guilt that we carry with that. Like we feel really bad because we're the ones who changed. So then we feel like the responsibility was on us to keep the friendship alive. But we have to give ourselves permission and understand that it's okay to evolve and it's okay to change and it's okay to like leave some people behind. It doesn't mean that the relationship wasn't real, you know? Yeah, I don't think all friendships are meant to be forever. I mean, I've got very, very good friends that I've known, as you say, all my life. They've known me as a child. You know, I've argued with them age six. And I've gone on holiday with them and their families. And when you've got a friendship that has such solid foundations, you can lose a window or two, but the whole building is not going to come crashing down. Whereas if you've got a friendship that's built on drinking and drinking goes, there's nothing left. So unless you want to start a friendship from scratch with someone who you've been hanging out with for two years, which is just weird, it probably won't last. But just like relationships, you you do that. And listen, I've had friendships with people that were really genuine and really lovely. And I really hope these people are doing well, but I don't know where they are. I moved country and I didn't stay in touch with them, but I really liked them. You don't have to maintain every friendship at 100%. And actually, as you go through life, and it's lovely when you bump into people, when you haven't seen them for 10 years and you suddenly see them and it's like, oh, you know, and you can reminisce. But I think you're right. We have to be okay with that. And to realize that's just part of life. It's part of the journey and you can't carry everyone with you all the time. You take the most valuable things and you put them in that bag and you hold it close, but the rest you can come back to or move on from. And if friendship fails, those people will go to find other friends. And so will you, they are not your responsibility. So again, it's like as we change and we evolve and sobriety is a massive change. The biggest Mm. one I've ever experienced, much bigger than having children or getting married or moving abroad. And I've made new friends because of it. But you need to find those people because this is a really lonely path if you don't have those people, I would imagine. Do you not think? I mean, what would you advise when it comes to sort of making new relationships when you're sober? Yeah, I would say find some local people or find a community. Again, I'll say Instagram because it's all I use. It's made it fun for me instead of really, really difficult. I haven't met any like quote unquote sober people in person because I'm not one to go to like AA. And thank God Mm. for like technology because Mm. I talk to you guys more than I talk to like most of my friends. I mean, I talk to you guys daily. Yeah. You know, back in the day, we would have had to write letters and wait for them to arrive in the mail to like communicate. And by then, God only knows how many things have changed. And so, I mean, thank God for that. I mean, we're sitting here face to face talking in a sense, you know, and I am super grateful for that. But there is something about actual human connection. And I think people need to have that. Like you need to have someone like that you can physically give a hug to and For me, like I said, I mentioned my friend Rod and my friend Yvonne. I mean, those are my top twos. And like I said, they drink, but they're not big drinkers. Everything doesn't revolve around drinking. The activity isn't drinking. And so they have total respect for my sobriety. And the thing is, is the United States is so big. Like, I'm not saying I haven't met anyone in the United States on Instagram (laughs) who's sober. It's just they're like 12 hours away from me. Like It's it's hard. Yeah, it's but- like when you say, "How far away are you going to the Christmas party I went to?" It's like, "Oh, it's quite far actually. It's going to take me three hours to get there." You're probably thinking that is not far, and no. for me, that's like a quarter of the country. Right. <laughs> I'm like, right. that's 
ages. I should get a hotel. Yeah. You're probably like, okay, that's what I do for a school run. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. But I think that you're right. And actually, Annika, who we had on an episode about spirituality, okay. she lives in the same town as me. And I meet her for walks and stuff. And you're right, just to give someone a hug and to have that actual contact mm-hmm. is important. But there are there are websites that are popping up that are trying to connect sober people. And it's always good to post and say, where are you? Is anyone near me? And as long as you can kind of spot the crazy people who might come and meet you with a knife in their pocket or something. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare people. But just because people are sober does not mean you're going to get on with them. Right. And that's a fact I've learned the hard oh, way. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying I love all vegetarians. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Right. And people are at different levels of sobriety. There are different parts of their sober journey. Some people have so much to work through. They don't want to speak to anyone about it. They don't want to talk to anyone. They no. just want to be left alone. Some people are all about socializing and they go out and see people every weekend. And that becomes their whole new life. Like whatever works for you do it. I'm more introverted anyway. So I will always be more on this level. I love one-on-one. I like doing, having the technology, like being the comfort of my own home. Like, so you gotta, you know, do what works for you. If it feels uncomfortable to go to a group and try to meet people, don't do it. It's okay. There's plenty of other options. Weigh them all out. If you're introverted like me, hit my DM. I can give you plenty of ideas of how I've met people and I've met amazing people. We probably should wrap this up, but I just want to also mention one other thing as far as meeting people and letting people into your world. You know, you and I both have let people in that maybe weren't right. And it's okay. That's okay too. When you start feeling like someone is wearing on you or it's just getting to be too overwhelming because some people will take advantage of the fact that you're sober and you're kind and you are looking for a friend and they'll take advantage of that and be very aware. And you will be, especially when you're sober, these things start sticking out like sore thumbs and don't be afraid to walk away because You are now in a place in your life where you need to attract the people that are there for you and that make you feel good. When you get done interacting with someone, you should feel good. If you don't, there's your sign. So that's just like one tip that I would love to give to to the listeners and really just reiterate for myself because it's something that I still work and struggle with all the time. I think you're right. And I think I've learned so much more about myself since I've been sober. And the self-loathing and the self-hatred that comes when you're a drinker doesn't work for you when it comes to standing up for yourself because you think you're more worthless than you are. And when you decide to stop drinking and you start to say, I love you and I like you and you start to think, no, I'm all right. And what I say matters. You feel strong enough. And you're so right. If if an interaction with someone is making you feel uncomfortable for any reason and you don't have to explain what that is, if you can't put it into words, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust someone or they're not making you feel good, step away. It's not worth it. Life is too short. You don't have to be friends with everyone. You can't be friends with everyone. Life is not like that. You don't take someone on and then that's it. They're with you forever. And that's the same with relationships, with partners. If it's not working now, you've got to reassess it. And I think a good question that I got asked once was, if you weren't married to your husband now and he asked you to marry him, would you say yes? And I think that's a really good gauge of whether you're happy. And it's harsh. Mm -hmm. But I do that all the time. And, Mm -hmm. And it is yes. Mm -hmm. And 
because of that, you know, the drinking is a problem, but it's something that I'm hoping we can sort out. But when it starts to become no, and you don't think it'll ever be yes again, I think you really do need to look at the relationship. And that's not just about sobriety, that's with everything. Right. And with friends and with colleagues and with anyone you have a relationship with, they should be making you feel good about yourself. And if they're not, why are they in your life? Thanks for tuning in. We're just two women from opposite sides of the pond striving to shed light on the negative impacts of alcohol. Quick heads up. We're not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is seriously affecting your mental or physical health, seek professional help. And don't forget to hit that follow button to catch all of our future episodes. If you think our podcast could make a difference to someone you know, share the love. And hey, leaving a five-star review will really help the Sober Effect reach more fantastic people like you. So thank you.